Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about the actionable practice of resisting temptation in order to be more like Jesus. We think Jesus is the best there is in any category, so we want to be like Him. We strive to imitate Him. Uh, to that end, we've defined discipleship very specifically as this. Discipleship is being with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus, so we can do the things Jesus did for the reasons that He did them. And it seems that Jesus was kind of like a spiritual martial arts master when it comes to countering every attack, punch, or kick that the devil could throw at him. And this is something that we think we can work on as well as followers of the way of Jesus. The key text we're going to look at today is Luke 4, where three specific scenarios happen, and we want to look at how Jesus handles those. But first, let's jump into the text. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The first thing to notice is how the devil uses the same phrase over and over again. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. What's really going on here is the devil is trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity as the Son of God. Are you who God says you are? Are you really the Son of God? It's a question of identity. We could really translate the question about jumping from the temple several different ways. Don't you want to show people who you are? Don't you want to prove yourself? Don't you want to be the main attraction? Don't you want to be liked? to be popular, to have all the attention? Don't you know you get your identity from what others think of you? Well, the same thing happens all the way back in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And when the woman saw that the fruit was of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. So in Luke 4, the devil asks Jesus these three questions of temptation that correspond roughly with the three aspects of the fruit that Eve found appealing. The same temptations that mankind faces at the beginning of time are the ones that Jesus has to deal with as well. They are kind of like arch temptations that are common to all of us, common to all humanity. We all have to deal with them on some level. I think that is why later 
Jesus' disciples also try to sort this out for the church, the group of people who are trying to follow the way of Jesus in this world. For instance, John says in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anything, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. So when you line up the temptations in the garden with the questions and temptations that Jesus faces in Luke 4, and then again with what John says here uh, in 1 John 2, you get a symmetry that's pretty helpful for us to look at. The three arch temptations you find in common are these, appetite, ambition, and affirmation. And I want to take those in turn. The first one, appetite, deals with our normal human appetites, hunger, comfort, pleasure. But really, it's about something deeper. It's about submission and control because appetites can quickly turn into addictions unless we learn to say no to them when appropriate. And oftentimes, behind our impulse to satisfy our appetites is kind of this doubt that God's really going to provide for us. Will he really give us the desires of our hearts? Does he really have the best interest in mind for us? Can we trust him? But Jesus knew that God would provide for him because he was secure in his identity as God's beloved son. He knew that he could trust his father to give him what he needed, that ultimately God himself was enough. So Jesus refuses the temptation to satisfy his appetite flippantly, quoting scripture and saying, people don't live on bread alone. There are a lot of different appetites that we face. So the question to face is the direct one. The first question is, what do you struggle with? What are your appetites? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it comfort? Is it alcohol? What is it? And the second question is, what things do you feel have control over you? Because anything you do compulsively that you would find extremely difficult to give up, that you make extensive excuses for whenever you're challenged about it, that's probably an uncontrolled appetite, an area of your life that you are giving into temptation. And constant giving in to those appetites weakens us spiritually. It keeps us ineffective and unfruitful in spiritual living. So what do we see Jesus doing about this? Well, he fasts. He puts himself as far away from the temptation as possible on purpose, and he abstains. He relies on the very words of God as his anchor in the storm. He calls on what he knows about his identity in God and says, I'm going to wait for God to sustain me as only he can. What you have is temporary, it's false, it's an illusion. Well, the next arch temptation is ambition. And I think it must be said that Jesus, he's not a superhero. He's not like Wonder Woman or Thor. The passage from Luke 4 shows us the very humanity of Jesus. He is made of flesh and blood. And maybe it would help if we viewed the temptations Jesus faces as this progression of ideas that are taking place naturally inside his mind just like happens to us, because these three ideas he faces are normal ones. They make sense. They're attractive and plausible. If Jesus really is the savior of the world, then why not just explode on the scene like Iron Man and say, what's up, everybody? I'm Iron Man. I'm the Messiah. I'm here to rule. So he's definitely forced to entertain these ideas in his mind and in his heart and to think about them becoming reality the same way that Adam and Eve did way back in the garden the same way we do now. I love the way New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, he says something about the garden that's really profound. He says, 
The garden is the place. It's the place where the serpent whispers plausible lies about God and his purposes and his commands. The arch temptations we face day in and day out are whispers of plausible lies that we have the choice to embrace or not. And Jesus had that same choice. But Jesus does not respond by attempting to argue because arguing with temptation or entertaining the idea is often a way of playing with the idea until it becomes too attractive to resist. But by quoting scripture, that's how he, yeah, that's how he fights back. Specifically, he, squ- he quotes scriptures from Exodus where the people of Israel are in the desert and they keep turning away from God and his direction and his leading and they begin to pursue their own paths. But Jesus is going to succeed where they fail. Again, N.T. Wright says that we have what we have in common with Jesus when it comes to temptation. He says, we are unlikely to be tempted in exactly the same way as Jesus was, but every Christian will be tested at the points which matter most in her or his hearts in their life. He goes on to say, the Christian discipline of fighting temptation is not about self-hatred or rejecting parts of our God-given humanity. It's about celebrating God's gift of full humanity and like someone learning a musical instrument, discovering how to tune it and play it to its best possibility. At the heart of our resistance to temptation is love and loyalty to the God who holds out before us the calling to follow him in the path which leads to fulfillment. And so we see Jesus fighting temptation, not by hating how God made him, but by demonstrating loyalty to God because he loves God and he knows that God has called him on the only path that can lead to true fulfillment. He knows the devil, the world, nor the desires of his own flesh will give him, none of that will give him fulfillment that can match the fulfillment that God can give him. And that takes us back to the passage in 1 John where John says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. These are the three arch temptations that, as John names them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the lust of the flesh has to do with our appetites that are part of being human. But the second temptation, the lust of the eyes, that has to do with what I said before is ambition our, or our desire to control, whether it's to take control of a situation or an event or even people. I think probably the best way to describe this is that each of us has a hundred moments every day where we're tempted to make things happen through our own efforts or a hundred moments where we might use words or actions to manipulate people or situations to get what we want. And we want things. We want things from our spouses, from our children, from our parents, from our relatives, from our boss, from our team at work. We want things from our friends. So we use guilt or withholding uh, or withholding affection or reward systems or pushing buttons or whatever means necessary to get our way. If you read through the stories of the characters of the Old and New Testament, it is just chock full of people scheming up their own plans for control, whether it's Abraham, Joseph, Moses, the, you know, Saul, Solomon, the, the disciples even, Paul, certain churches that Paul writes to. But Jesus comes on the scene and he breaks the chain of pride and arrogance and ambition And he shows us how to gain our identity by listening to God and what God thinks of us. He shows us what to hunger and thirst for. He shows us who gives us our self-worth so that we don't tie our identity to getting what we want. He shows us how to die to ourselves and how to take up our cross, to let go of trying to secure the outcomes we want at any cost. What does that look like? It looks like losing the argument. Don't get the last word in. 
Just say you're sorry and lose. Choose to go above and beyond at work and not worry about whether or not your boss notices or not. Choose not to defend yourself when others are talking about you. Keep your mouth shut and trust Jesus. Take up a discipline where you regularly choose to lose. Let go of needing your children to behave perfectly so that you can focus on loving them well. Let go of your plans for situations and focus on being present with others. You can get the promotion or not get the promotion. God's going to be with you no matter what. We can let go of our desires for other people to do things differently and simply focus on praying for them and loving them. Our model for this is Jesus, so we try to be like Him. Now, the third arch temptation is affirmation. And I think we can see all three arch temptations in the lives of the Pharisees that Jesus encounters all the time in the Scriptures, just like we can see them in ourselves, because any self-aware person can probably recognize these in themselves. But affirmation was what the Pharisees seemed to have a problem with quite a bit. Jesus calls them out for basically wanting to have a reputation of righteousness without any desire to actually be righteous. They did the right things like giving and praying and fasting, but for the purpose of being seen. They wanted people to notice them. And that's what the devil is tempting Jesus to do when he says, throw yourself off the temple in Luke 4. That's what John calls uh, the pride of life. Have people notice you. How many times is the reason we do things so that others will like us or affirm us? Like finding ways to talk about your accomplishments or making sure people know you're intelligent or inserting funny little uh, witty statements so people will think you're smart or clever. None of these are bad in and of themselves, but sometimes the heart of the matter is this. We want to please people not because we love them, but because we need them to like us so we can feel good about ourselves. What we all need to recognize is that when it comes to seeking affirmation, we are seeking identity from somewhere outside ourselves. And in some cases, this is good, like, like getting good and honest feedback from trusted friends or family about something that you did or an accomplishment or something like that. Or like when kids are seeking affirmation from their parents. This is well-placed identity if their parents are seeking God and want to instill the love and character of God in their kids. You can see how a child who does not have the love and support and edifying affirmation of their parents can lead to a child struggling to know that they are loved and consequently who they are as a child of God. And the same is true of us. The same is true of grown-ups. If we're not resting securely in the reality that we are children of our Father, if we're not regularly receiving affirmation from Him in that relationship of love, we're going to really quickly turn to others to get a sense of identity, trying to get kind of like these affirmation hits from others. What happens through this process is that we've created idols. We create idols, idols of what others think of you so that you posture yourself accordingly. And you make an idol out of, well, you make an idol out of you. You are the center of your life, not God. And eventually, idolatry of any kind leaves us living with these kind of addictions that cripple us. Depending on others for your self-worth is a way of life that will grind you down to dust. So when we look at the story of Jesus going out into the desert, he has his identity threatened. In other words, he's tempted to give in to his appetites. He's tempted to prove himself and run after his ambitions. He is tempted to fill his need for love and self-worth by seeking affirmation from anyone and everyone and everything other than God. And after this, 
when Jesus comes out of the desert, Luke tells us that he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what we can take away from that. Whenever your identity is threatened, there is enormous opportunity for God's kingdom to be advanced if we stay loyal and demonstrate our love for him like Jesus did. We can fight back against these temptations like he did in tangible ways. When it comes to your appetites, recognize that God has made humans the way they are for a reason, for his purposes. Oftentimes our appetites are misaligned from the true purpose and character that God designed them for, or they're just misdirected. Like someone learning to play the piano, you're going to hit wrong keys or make bad chord combinations from time to time. The purpose of playing an instrument, however, is to make beautiful music. So we learn from our mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. You can practice so that you don't keep making the same mistakes. Don't believe the whispers that are plausible lies, especially the one that says, you're always going to be this way. You're always going to mess up. Jesus shows us how to seek help and gain hope from God when it comes to our appetites. Jesus refused the temptation to satisfy his appetite flippantly or just casually. He believed that God would satisfy his desires in a righteous and true way in his time and a way that they were intended to be satisfied. Get help fasting from compulsive appetites and desires by seeking out assistance from trustworthy sources, other Christians. Go to counseling if you feel like your appetites are in control of you. When it comes to ambition, recognize that you don't need to manipulate situations or other people to get what you want. Tell God each day this simple phrase, God, I trust you. You're in control. Ask him what he wants you to pursue today, this week, this year. Ask him what he wants your help with in seeing his kingdom come, not your kingdom. And then last but not least, when it comes to affirmation, recognize that God loves you. Each morning, or sometime throughout the day, tell yourself this phrase, God, I am your daughter or son. You are pleased with me. Get your affirmation for who you are, your true identity from the one who made it all and loves you deeply. May you know the power of the Spirit to help you engage your appetite and your ambition and your need for affirmation. May you have a faith in God that he made you with the ability to be like his son, Jesus. May you have a hope that God can help you live up to the potential he dreams for you to have the character and skill set of Jesus. I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.